0: Welcome to Extra Innings, the Phillies podcast from the Philadelphia Inquirer. I'm Scott Lauber, along with.
1: I'm Bob Brookover, and neither one of us is Mapperene as he continues on his little hiatus, on
0: his little adventure, <laughs> his little baby adventure. Uh, so, Bob, um, since we talked last week, uh, negotiations have ramped up again between Major League Baseball and the Players Association. I think if last week was about health and safety, then this week is quite clearly about uh, salaries and how players will be paid this year. And we sit here right now. It's uh, Thursday morning. Uh, players received a proposal a couple of days ago. They are, um, as far as we know, preparing a counter proposal. And uh, you've written about this uh, today. I've, I've written about this the last few days. I'm curious to get your thoughts on where you think this is going, because... As far as I'm concerned, uh, there's one big fundamental issue here, and that's that the sides do not trust one another to come together on a deal. And um, I think a good place to start is uh, comments that were made over Twitter by Max Scherzer last night, the Washington Nationals ace, um, in talking about you know, the major problem here, which is that the owners say, look. The deal they made at the end of March, which calls for prorated salaries based on number of games played, only works if the conditions uh, of those games didn't change, like meaning if fans were there and if all the revenues were were the same. Well, there aren't going to be any fans in the seats if, they're, if they do play this year, which means depending on who you talk to, 40% to, I think, Cubs owner Tom Ricketts is saying 70% of teams' revenues are derived from gate-related Things. Um, that's not going to be there. So the owners say, look, naturally, we need the players to take a second pay cut. Players don't want to. And Scherzer put it as plainly as you can. He wrote, after discussing the latest developments with the rest of the players, there's no reason to engage with MLB in any further compensation reductions. We have previously negotiated a pay cut in the version of the prorated salaries. And there's no justification to accept a second pay cut based upon the current information the union has received. I'm glad to hear other players voicing the same viewpoint and believe MLB's economic strategy would completely change if all documentation were to become public information. In other words, open your books, prove you're losing as much money as you say you are, and then maybe we'll start to talk about a second round of cuts. I don't think the owners are opening their books. It certainly doesn't sound like the players are taking any cuts. So where does that leave us?
1: Well, you called it a negotiation. And and as of right now, it's not really a negotiation. Uh, It was a over-the-top proposal from MLB. Now we wait to hear. uh, I mean, we're hearing in dribs and drabs from players uh, like Max Scherzer, you know, that they didn't consider it much of a proposal at all, or anything that they—not even a starting point. Um, so, in order to to, to be in negotiation, we have to hear back from the union and to see what what their thoughts on this are officially. Um, you know, to go back to your point, you know, Rick is saying seventy percent of the Cubs. I could buy that the Cubs are probably they're they're uh, because their attendance is always so good their revenue is not the same for every team in, in 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 house revenue um you know it's just seating capacity because how can the Marlins possibly be uh 40% 30% even of their their revenue because they just they don't draw you know i i, I almost think it costs them money to put on a game with how few people they have there some, sometimes you know um but having said that you know in, in the story I wrote yesterday um, you know, the, all these teams, except the Marlins, every team in baseball, every owner in baseball who bought their team has made a significant amount of money based on the value of those franchises. I mean, it, it ranges from the Yankees, who Steinbrenner, George Steinbrenner, bought the team for $10 million in 1973. It's now worth $5 billion. Uh, you know, at, at the other end is the is the Marlins, who they paid 1.2 billion a couple th- two two years ago and that's even that's worth 980 million dollars um, so you know you talk about the, the value of the people who bought the team they're worth a lot more than that uh, but every team is as just about every team has made a lot of money on on, on every, not just about every team every team except the Marlins right now uh, when you, when you simply and it's not that simple, obviously, there are operating costs and players people don't want to lose this money. But my belief is that the owners can take the, the hit a lot more, a lot easier than the players and make that up in the long run. Whereas players' lives are limited, yes. Is Bryce Harper an exception to that rule because he's got 10 years, but the majority of these guys don't have 10 years, um, yeah. I read you know, somewhere
0: even- that the average, um, and I have to admit, I was a little surprised at this the average. Uh, major league career lasts something like 5.6 years, which means you don't even get to free agency if you don't have six years of service time. So if the average player never even reaches free agency, it right. just kind of reinforces he's got, how short a, uh, an earning span these guys really have.
1: The, and they haven't made enough money to live the rest of their lives on at, at that point. You, you have not. You just simply have not. Right. Uh, so... Um, You know, it's it's as we've talked about in previous weeks, it's still very much up in the air that this is going to happen. You know, the one thing that has to drive them both to the table is they both both sides know how bad this is going to look if they don't get back on the field because of money, because of money. Right. I mean, that's why I've said all along
0: that if they if they made this almost exclusively about health and safety, You know, look, I talked to Larry Boa last week and he said, like everyone else, he's like, I read the highlights of that 67 page manual about uh, protocols, health and safety protocols to put on a game, including like things as severe as like will discourage players from showering in the clubhouse after the game. And he said after after seeing or reading some of those highlights, he's like, I won't be mad if they don't play because it doesn't sound to me like it's safe to play. And I think the public is is with him on that. Like, if you don't play a season because it's not safe to play a season, I think people will accept that. If you don't play a season because you're going to haggle over how players get paid or how much money owners are going to lose, I don't think that's forgivable. I think it's going to be a long time for people – to uh, to come around on baseball again, uh, if if that were to happen, so I mean I don't know I, if I'm they're not, too far I, down not, the road. I'm
1: not, I'm not even sure I agree that they, they would accept that these guys not playing uh, for medical for for health reasons. I, you know, because the public just it, it's the problem with professional athletes and sports is that the public looks at these guys almost like as robots or as uh, something other, other than human. There it, it's the it's the uh, gladiator in the Coliseum against line. They're just another thing for to entertain them, you know. Right. And shame on them if they just can't take all the money. If they can't take the amount of money that the owner is asking them to, because that's way more money than they're making. And if they can't just take the risk of this, you know, so much of the country looks at this as, well, it's not a risk to these guys. They're great athletes. Well, well you know, probably not in, in the vast majority of cases, but, oh, all you need is one case to be tragic. I mean you just look at the history of players uh, who have died in the NFL on the field or have died in the sporting endeavors it 's always a great tragedy and if it's a, it becomes a tragedy because somebody got the coronavirus or playing the game, it would be a, the greatest sports tragedy ever of the, you know of a single person dying
0: well, and then you know look like you, like you said to your point I mean these are three dimensional people who have lives away from. The baseball stadium and so you know there is a worse scenario than than a player uh getting the coronavirus it's a player uh infecting someone in his family uh when he goes home and you know uh, we've talked about this before you and I hear about you know players like Garrett Cole and Mike Trout and Zach Wheeler who have kids on the way during the summer um who have you know things to think about other than just themselves and their jobs and what it will take to put on a baseball game. They're real people who go home at night and have, and have people they come into contact with away from work.
1: And you're you're very, you're very sensitive to that. You have a toddler, Uh, Jake's a toddler. And, you know, then they, the players have to think about this too. The thing, the, the um, disease that is now affecting kids, that uh, an offshoot of the coronavirus. And again, it's a small percentage, but all it takes is one. And look at the, 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 the tragedy that that would be for a kid like that from one of these players, it would just be devastating.
0: Devastating. Yeah. And just to get back to the, um, the issue of economics for a minute. So now we're waiting for the players to make their counter proposal, And what's interesting to me is throughout most of this, um, on both sides, the health side and the, uh, and the economic side, the players have the league and the owners have basically been on offense this whole time. They're the ones making the proposals and they're the ones putting together the manuals. And, you know, they're the ones making the presentations. The players have largely been on defense. They've been on sort of the receiving end. And I, I'm, I'm curious now to see the players go on offense a little bit like, OK, you don't like the league's economic plan. What's your economic plan? What's your solution uh, for how to deal with all of this? And I think it's going to be interesting. We've heard a number of things floated over the last day or so, um, potentially lengthening the season. So instead of playing 80 games or 82 games, they would play a hundred games. I don't see that that's necessarily a solution. I think the owners lose more money, the more games <laughs> that get played. I think the owners want to play fewer games. I think the owners also want to get to the playoffs faster so that Uh, If there's going to be a second wave of the virus, it doesn't wipe out the postseason where that's where the real money comes, uh, TV money comes. Uh, I've heard things about deferrals, salary deferrals, like, okay, we'll take a second cut now, but we want to be paid. uh, We want that money in the future. And I talked to uh, Vince Gennaro, who runs a um, he's a essentially a baseball economics professor at NYU. And he said, look, look. Salary deferrals don't really work because MLB's, you know, the the economy is going to be impacted beyond just this year. If you think that um, if you think that, you know, you're going to snap our fingers and magically get back to normal in 2021, that's probably not going to be the case. And so the last thing owners want to do is incur debt, which is what deferred salaries are. So I don't know how the players um, get around this, but, you know, I'm interested to see what their proposal might look like.
1: Yeah, I, mean, I I have no idea what it's going to look like. Um, I, I assume if they come come out um, and say, "Hey, what we 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 said would take prorated salaries," that's our stand. Um, we're, there's some going to be some deep trouble here, um, and I don't know where you go from there. So the the creativity that has to come out of that, you know, the one thing I did think about was. Um, if the players said, all right, we're going to accept what you have here, they, and then try to go for stuff and the deferrals would be one of these things or just try But I don't, it's just too encompassing. I think try to take it into the future because you have a new collective bargaining agreement coming after next season, you know, and say, Hey, you know what? You guys have never opened your books, which you, and you balked again at opening your books over this. You know, the only way we're going to agree to anything that you're, you're proposing here uh, is if you do open your books. We want to see everything you have um, and we, we, we want to, um, you know, it's not short of the, we want to take your antitrust laws away that have protected you for so long. You're the only sport that has that. Um, you know, we want something back from you that you're unwilling to give. And if MLB is not willing to do that, we got a real problem here. I mean, and again, the only, the only thing going for this right now is that these two sides know how bad they're going to look and they're going to, they're going to both end up wearing it. If it doesn't, if it doesn't get settled and they don't get back on the field.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. And I think the CBA negotiations that are looming next year actually complicate this even further. Because I could imagine where if you were in year one of a CBA or or early in those stages where negotiations on the next one were still years away, you might be more inclined to say, all right, let's make a one-year concession now, go back to normal next year and live the rest of the life of this CBA. But I think both sides are being very careful about making too many concessions now because they're going to have to negotiate a CBA next year. And there's always that risk of saying, well, hey, let's just make this the new normal, you know? And it goes
1: back to that issue of the sides not trusting one another. Right. Well, you know, this is the thing. Maybe maybe a player's negotiating, ploy would be to say, and I think they'd be willing to do this. You know what? The next negotiating is let's let's re-up right now status quo. You know, the owners don't want status quo. I don't think the players do either. uh, they made I, I a guess bad they,
0: deal last time.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. It, well, bad deal from there. They, yeah. they made so many good deals over the years. True. Uh, the players have have pretty much won in many many cases. Um, so, you know, if status quo would be better than what the owners are going to go after here, I think too. So, uh, which they're it seems like they're already getting with the with the draft being cut to five rounds. I don't see that going back to 40 rounds ever. Uh, I don't see it. I, I can see this draft being five rounds forever now, um, which is a shame in, in many, many ways. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about that. May, maybe maybe we we'll use that as a segue. Yeah, let's go talk ahead. about that because coming up on June 10th, no
0: matter how these negotiations go, we're going to have a live baseball event. We're going to have a draft. The uh, the draft, such as it is, uh, as you said, it'll be limited now to five rounds, but it's still going to be an actual live baseball event where uh, the teams will draft. And uh, you wrote recently about uh, a player who uh, is local and might wind up with the Phillies, Nick Bitsko. Tell us a little bit about about him and about his story. And you know, the Phillies have the fifteenth overall pick, and I think you tweeted yesterday that. Baseball America right now has got Bitsko going 15th to the Phillies. So, um,
1: yeah, that's it's interesting because in the previous Baseball America draft, he had fallen out of the first round, um, which I had received talking to some different scouts involved with drafting players. One thought he would definitely stay in the first round, and another one thought he might drop out because he, you know, because they he's from central bucks East. Right. Uh, and they had not, he's not going, obviously like every high school kid in our area is not going to have a season has not had a season. Uh, so nobody got to see him pitch since last summer. Um, you know, it's just something that's going to affect a lot of kids, but this kid's an even more interesting story because this kid was supposed to be a junior this year and baseball America had kind of projected him in the 2021 draft to be, maybe be the top pick in that draft. Uh, based on his ability. Um, But he was only supposed to be a junior this year. uh, And he went and got his – what he needed to do to graduate this year. So this was going to be his senior season. He lost that uh, and was – decided to stay in the draft. Um, And, you know, if the Phillies picked him, it it would be great, great. It's always a great story when a a local kid gets drafted by his – uh, uh, local team. It's just, it's just a terrific story. I, I lived it with Jesse Biddle. I thought it was, you know, Jesse Biddle's story did not turn out the way uh, I'm sure Jesse Biddle had hoped or his family had hoped. But you know what? It was still pretty cool to follow him through. It was cool to go watch him pitch in minor league games and see he always see his friends and family there uh, and try to make it to the big leagues. You know, he eventually did get to the big leagues. It wasn't the career he hoped to have. Um, but it it was, it was fun to watch him and it was fun to watch him grow up in the organization. Yeah. I
0: wonder, um, because the, the, this draft is so unique for so many reasons, um, only five rounds, um, as you said, no, no, um, no season, no current season to, 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 to scout and to draft from, um, teams no doubt have their reports on guys from last year and from, um, whenever they most pitched or played recently, whether that was, um, you know, somewhere in the wintertime or whatever. But um, I, I wonder whether, you know, in a case like Bitsco, whether the Phillies say, Hey, look, I mean, maybe they've seen more of him simply because he's local. Maybe they have a little bit more background or familiarity because he's local. Maybe it's, it's sort of in, in these unique conditions, in these unique circumstances, local is the way to go because you, you inherently know a little bit about a guy who's right in your own backyard. I don't know if that's going to factor yeah. in, but it, it
1: might. It, it, that probably would be true more for a college kid, though, because you, you know, you're going to follow a college kid who you think is draftable more closely from freshman or from freshman through junior season, I think. Uh, and you're going to see him a lot more because they play more games. Uh, so I think that's probably true more for those guys. Uh, although these guys are all seen, they seen quite a bit, you know he's he pitched in the summer leagues and down in georgia they always have the perfect game right. leagues and he pitched in them so scouts scouts have seen this kid he's obviously very impressive uh he's got terrific mechanics um he's you know he's already uh gotten uh you know the stuff that you can project to the big leagues um so i mean he's obviously if he was if they're projecting him to be maybe the number one pick overall next year that's very impressive um you know, it's just um, it, if the Phillies do draft him. It's the interesting thing is there's there becomes a pressure there to, though too because when you get away from your hometown, you, you know, not not as many eyes are going to be on you. You know that Jesse Biddle did have to deal with you know, oh this is the hometown kid we want him to make it. Oh, you know, and you don't have that pressure constantly on you. So. It, it, I, I I I would love to, I would love to see him take this kid first overall as their I mean as their first pick and see see where it goes. It, I think it's a cool story. It's funny because you know the Phillies still get crap from, from people. Sometimes I get I'll get emails every now and then. Yeah, they let Trout get by. I can't believe they let Trout get by, not realizing that they had no chance to. <laughs> To draft Mike Trout in two thousand and nine, but you know it's understandable because people fall in love with the local, right?
0: And well, a lot of teams let Trout go by. Um, they, you know they it's, did, it's... but the Phillies weren't one. Of them. No, they were not. <laughs> and um, you know, a name that you're going to be hearing a, a bit um, in the next ten days is Brian Barber. He's the Phillies' new amateur scouting director. Came over from the Yankees in the offseason. season. Uh, I don't think you or I have really had much of a chance to an opportunity to talk to him. Hopefully we will over the next 10 days or so. And he's interesting because, you know, I'm assuming he'll come in and bring a sort of his, his philosophy on drafting. And one thing we found out, I think over the last few years with his predecessor, Johnny Almaraz was um, the, the preference for, it seemed like uh, the preference for, for college players, um, uh, position players in particular. I mean, you look at the Phillies first round history, over the last few years, um, you know, whether it's Bryson Stott or Alec Bohm or Adam Hazley, the last three uh, were all um, college position players. And Johnny was pretty clear about um, that was sort of how he felt the, um, uh, was the way to go, especially in the first round. If you were going to pick a, a high school pitcher, uh, it had to be an elite, elite, elite high school pitcher. Uh, because it's so much easier to miss uh, on, on high school pitchers it's um, you know there's there's less data um, they're pitchers versus position players so injury is always a little bit more of a factor um, they like to go with with college position players the last few years I wonder if Brian Barber will come in with a similar philosophy or I assume he'll have some thoughts of his own on um, on when to when to go for the for the high school player
1: or when to go for the pitcher yeah, it, th- that'll be interesting. I mean, it's an, what there was in this offseason. It was an influx of Yankee influence, and he came from the Brian came from the Yankees. Uh, and I, whenever somebody comes from the Yankees, I raise my hand and say, "Yes, uh, I, I think WWYD is a good way to to build your franchise because they've they've had some success over the years, as I've noticed, um, you know. But it, it will be interesting to see what his who he makes with his first pick. I think even though that was Johnny's M.O. and I'm not, you know, I, I think more so than was the case when when Mike Arbuckle and uh, Marty Wallover were in charge of the draft, I think there's more influence from, was more influence from above Johnny uh, than in, in those drafts than there was before. But having said that, his first pick was Mickey Moniak, a, a high school right. uh, position player, which, you know, there was – and that was – that to me showed that there was probably more influence because they were trying to, you know, play with the money a little bit to get some – you know, to be able to have more money down lower and maybe get a better pick lower. You know, they they played the game a little bit, and I'm not sure, you know, the, the jury is way – still way out on whether that um, uh, is going to work out for them. Uh, so it, – but it'll be interesting to see um, – what Brian does with his first pick. And it would be a really gutsy pick to take the local kid who, who skipped a year of high school with the first, with your first uh, ever pick for a franchise. That would be a really
0: gutsy. pick. Also no second round pick this year, right? If yes. So, yeah, you no. know, so there, that too, you're dealing with a, you're dealing with a bit of a gap between your first pick and then your next one. And, you know, um, how do you maximize that, that, you know, that first round pick becomes even more important considering you're not going to draft again for a little while and the draft, is shortened anyway. So,
1: um, right. And the, the other thing is, you know, they, the scouts and people did get to see the college kids a little bit, at least for like three weeks right? Uh, before, before, whereas high school kids, they didn't get to see at all. I don't, you know, talking to a scout that I know very well, he talked about how you can, you can, you can tell from a picture easier, like looking at a video whether, whether a pitcher has stuff or not, you can see what his stuff is doing it's, he said it's harder to judge a hitter um, because and how a hitter's reacting to a pitch unless you're live, you know. He said it's really more difficult to to see what a kid is hitting.
0: That sounds right. You know, I, I, I no. that's that sounds um, that sounds perfectly logical to me. Not that I'm a scout or have that sort of eye for talent, but. You know um you know that that definitely sounds like it's it goes to that idea that there's you know that there are certain bets that feel safer than others um and let's face it we're projecting um we're projecting you know young young players whether they're high school players or college players it's a pretty inexact science
1: it it really it really is, and you know the phillies <laughs> it, drafted i've always been fascinated by the draft and the Phillies that had a lot of the you know at, at the time when they were really going through their great run, they were drafting a lot of uh, high-ceiling, huge-risk high school Anthony kids. Anthony Hewitt. Uh, right. Uh, Juwan, uh, Juwan James is a little lower pick. The names are escaping me at the moment. Uh, Anthony Hewitt's a great one, though. And, and, but they were doing it with a with – Greg Colson, a, right, the, was,
0: was in that grouping.
1: Right. They were, But they were doing it with the thought in mind of um, – you know, we don't care if it takes these guys a while because if you look at what we have at the big league level, there's not going to be a place for them to slot in for quite a while anyway. Uh, and it was an interesting way to look at things. You know, they got fried because I don't know that any of them, you know, made, made it, you know. It, so that became it, – it got magnified when the, the good times ended and they didn't have anything to to fill in. But conversely, they could have taken a safer college player who would have just, you know, evolved into a everyday fifth outfielder or whatever, and that doesn't really help you win either.
0: Right. So let's finish with this. I understand you had some insomnia the other night, and uh, the cure for it was the KBO.
1: Yeah, the cure for it right now is coffee. It was last night that I had the insomnia. Uh. And, and so I got up and watched some KBO, and um, it's as I – said I, I watched the game that I thought was live and it wasn't that game ended and then the live game was coming on Um and, and it was interesting because they were uh, they were interviewing David Buchanan's team the Samsung Lions was playing and they were interviewing from from his apartment in, in I don't know what town Samsung is in uh, uh, I do it's Daegu Daegu yes all right they were interviewing from his apartment Daegu because he's home because his wife was his wife was sick uh-huh. So uh, so he was like kind of taking care of their they have a I think a three-year-old. No, I, um, I think um, – I want to say younger. Maybe I wanna, two. I want to say like maybe. a year
0: and a half, something like that. Okay. Really young. Oh,
1: right. yeah. So they were interviewing him about the league. Uh, and I, I last week interviewed Darren Ruff about – who had spent three years in the KBO, and it got him a, another look to, in the big leagues this year with San Francisco, and he was playing very well before this all happened. And, you know, as I watched the KBO, I was like, you you wonder, okay, what's the talent level? The the thing I've noticed in a little bit of I watched is there's a lot of a lot of bad fielding in that league. Mm-hmm. They score a lot of runs, and today they were talking about just the ERAs of some of these teams. I mean, we're about 20 games in for for the teams right now, and like the the average relief uh, staff's ERA is like 5.50. Uh, but I, I actually just flat out asked Darren. I like, okay, tell me about the talent level, and he said, you know, every team's got their American players who, you know, had some time in the big leagues and triple A, you know, they've all got they've all got them. He said, you know, they've all got a superstar who could go to the probably go to the big leagues and play and, you know, not necessarily be a star, but could hold their own in the big leagues. So but then you also got get guys who are like right out of high school who if they were in the States they'd be in rookie ball or low A ball. Uh, but they get you know, they get out of high school and they go right to the leagues because they don't have the depth of players that they have, and so the talent level is just all over the map. Uh, and I, I found that, and he said, I can't really describe it in oh, it's double A level ball or it's triple A level ball. He said, because there's just, it's just the talent disparity is so huge from the best player to the worst player, which I found a pretty interesting description of the league. Yeah, when
0: when I talked to David Buchanan, um. That their season hadn't started yet. And uh, in fact, he had just come out of a two week quarantine um, and was heading into spring training there. And, you know, it's his first year in that league, but he, he has an interesting perspective in that he spent the last three years in Japan. And if, if major league baseball is the top league in the world, Japan is probably second and Korea is probably third. I think most people would um, would sort of order it that way. And, and, you know, I think he was curious to see how Korea um, stacked up to Japan and, and, and what he might find. One thing I found interesting was the foreign players, um, mostly U.S., um, mostly American players. There's a lot of pressure on those guys um, because in a lot of cases, those guys have signed for decent money, especially uh, relative to, to the you know, South Korean players and what they're making. And uh, they, they're, they're the guys who were brought over there. And if you don't play well, they will replace you or they won't have you back next year. And so for the David Buchanan's and the Ben Lively's, who are both on Samsung and Aaron Altair, who's on uh, NC Dinos, I think, um, you know, those guys have to perform in order to stay in that league next year. And obviously that's not their, their goal is to perform well so they can gain entry back into the big leagues again. Uh, but just to remain in Korea, you have to play pretty well. You sort of put up or shut up, because otherwise they're going to go and look for for, um, foreign players
1: who are better than you. Well, in that regard, they actually asked uh, David Buchanan during the telecast about what his thoughts were comparing uh, this league to the Japanese league. Um, and he talked about how the the hitters in Korea – um, seem to be, um, more eager to drive the ball out of the park. So they can flip their bats. Right. But they, but they, they, it's more of a all or nothing approach from their hitters than, than it was in Japan, which I, I I found very interesting. Interesting. And the other thing fascinating thing about David, um, Buchanan is his first start. He went seven innings, gave up zero runs, uh, and struck out five without a walk his third start he gave up he went seven innings uh gave up zero runs two hits and struck out eight with one walk his other two starts he went 11 innings and gave up 16 (laughs) hits and 15 runs 15 earned runs so he's that he's been all or nothing in his four starts so far, and his, his overall ERA is five four zero. But he's he's had two seven inning shutout performances, and he still has an ERA of five four zero. Wow, so it was pretty pretty up and down uh, start to his career, career career. Wow, so you're into this? Uh, it sa- sounds like well, you're I will, set I will, your uh, clock to... I, I was today. Uh, here's what I'm hoping tomorrow that I sleep till seven thirty. Ah, I hear you. <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, pick your poison, right? Do you want to wake up in the middle of the night and watch KBO baseball, or do you want to listen to owners and players fight over how much players should get paid?
1: And I'll, I'll take I'll take the South Korean baseball, actually. And, I, you know, I'm sure hoping that at some point it all comes to fruition. And even if we don't get to go sit in the ballpark, we get to sit in our houses and write about um, –
0: Some Major League Baseball. Well, I hear you. And hopefully the next time you and I get together to do uh, this podcast, we'll have a verdict one way or the other on uh, whether there's going to be a season or not and what it might look like. Uh, Until then, please keep following our coverage at uh, inquire.com. And in the pages of the Philadelphia Inquirer for Bob Brookover. I'm Scott Lauber. I'll talk to you soon.